It's poverty. It's crime. Unemployment. Corruption. Accountability. The energy crisis. Inflation. We are worried. That South Africa has myriad problems on all fronts is a given. But the time has come for us to look for real solutions. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and this MoneyWeb podcast will discuss those solutions on how South Africans can solve problems by having tough conversations and drawing on the insights of South Africa's top business leaders. Welcome to Fix SA. South Africa has one of the most unequal school systems in the world. Children in the top 200 schools achieve more distinctions in mathematics than children in the next 6,600 schools combined. The gap in test scores between the top 20% of schools and the other 80% is wider than in any country in the world. According to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, South Africa's education system ranks 75th out of 76 mainly rich countries. 27% of students who have attended school for six years cannot read. Only 37% of children starting school go on to pass the matriculation exam. Just 4% earn a degree. Surely, if we improve those numbers, we're going to make some inroads into fixing South Africa. A very warm welcome to the MoneyWeb podcast Fix SA. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and this is our first episode for 2024. I'm going to introduce you to Basil Manuel. He is a respected and leading education figure in South Africa and executive director of the National Professional Teachers Organization of South Africa. Basil, a very warm welcome to you. And let me start with this. You said some months ago, and I quote, that one of the fundamentals in education is grade R. You went on to say we need to fix grade R first because if we can't fix the fundamentals, then we have failed our children. Let's fix grade R, you say. This is the foundation phase, and then we can begin to resolve matric challenges. How do you begin that process then of fixing grade R, and why is grade R so important? Thank you for having me, Jeremy. First of all, grade R is the beginning of the formal learning phase of in a child's life. And if we look at schools where children get in and master grade one quickly, those are children that have all been to a formal grade R. Now, we have a lot of systems within South Africa where children are being taken care of, but that's child minding. And there's no formal structure. They learn to socialize, etc. But that is the only takeaway they have. If we don't put them through the formal grade R, then they are not school ready as they should be. And this is where our first uh, uh, problem comes in. Our first failure is we don't get them school ready in time. As a result, they don't master the basics that one expects in school. In grade one, a child should master 22 books uh, in terms of the general reader in the language that they do. They can't do that if they haven't even been socialized properly. That's on the one hand the first part, but it also goes to things like the psychosocial development. It goes to the psychomotor development because some of these kids have never done motor skills. And as a result, even holding an instrument of writing like a pen or a crayon, mm. etc., is extremely difficult. And 
motor skills like simply just catching a ball has never been done and those are the things that you do in grade R and before grade R. So if we want reading to have improved by a certain grade, we've got to start before formal reading begins. And Basil, if we don't fix it at that level, I am assuming, and you're the expert here, that incrementally young people keep falling behind the curve when they get to the point where they need to be formally educated in the tertiary space or need to find a job, they're unable to bring the requisite skills. And that has a direct impact on the economy, which is one of the reasons why we find ourselves in such a parlous position in South Africa right now. Absolutely. If you just go through the first years of learning, if the children don't master what they should master at the time that is set for it in the foundation phase, master reading, get to the intermediate phase, etc., many different things start happening. Number one, the teachers in the higher grades can't teach reading. They can't make you catch up. And then, of course, with those deficits, you have deficits in mathematics, deficits in in language, and those all count. As you go higher up, you get to matric, you're obviously running behind. And then what is it that the country is demanding? Children with certain skills to enter into the skilled market. But not only that. Going into university, we are looking for people who are going to take us further in the 21st century economy. Those fall behind. And we are training far too few young people in uh, subjects like uh, ICT and so on. Mm. As a result, we are not becoming competitive in the new world. We can no longer train children to be mining people, as an example. Nothing wrong with mining. It's important. But It's not just about the physical jobs any longer. We've got to look at economies that are changing every day, and we are not ready for that. And our curriculum isn't at fault. It is that we are missing out on key things from grade R moving forward. So it begs the question then, how can technology be effectively integrated into South African classrooms to improve learning outcomes? There's two schools of thought, and I flip-flop between the two. First of all, technology in itself is not a solution. Uh, We've seen this in Gauteng, where the previous MEC had thrust tablets, etc., into schools, thinking that that will be the solution. It's not a solution on its own. It goes with a whole lot of other things. I believe it is extremely important to teach technological type subjects like coding and robotics from very early when children are very receptive to be able to do these things. When there's a wow, when you manage to write a code that gets a little car working, we've seen it and we run these workshops. The the children are bowled over. They want to go to the next level. That is where technology comes in. And when you start introducing technology in terms of ICT things like tablets, etc., as an aid to what you are teaching in terms of the understanding of how things work, you then get better outcomes. Too many people think it is about a child being able to use a computer. Every child can use a computer. They take five minutes and they're able to do what, whatever you, they need to do. But they don't master what they can accomplish with a computer. So we've got to get the thinking right in education, particularly about these various instruments versus taking technology further within the schools. Mm. And I think it's, it's a very different idea. 
Basil Manuel, we've had a very quick start to this conversation. We've looked at grade R. We've looked at the importance of technology. So let's slow down a little bit if we can. And uh, my question now is, do you believe in its current state that education in South Africa in the short to medium term can be repaired, can be fixed? And I'm assuming that you're going to say yes, because I've known you for a long time and you're a confident and you're an optimistic man. So if that's the case, where do we start the process? Jeremy, yes, I am going to say yes. I think it can be fixed because I think some good things have happened that we sometimes undervalue. The statistic you quoted from the OECD saying we're 75, 75th out of 76, mm. it's a little misleading in the sense that we are competing with first world countries primarily on that level. And there's a certain amount that you've got to give credit for to say, We're pitching ourselves against this to see how good or how bad we are. But compared to our peers in the same space, we are also not doing all that great, but we are much further up on the rankings. So firstly, something like that. Secondly, how do we fix it? I think that one of the basic problems lies in how we train teachers. At a meeting recently with the deans of education, we were talking about uh, teacher training and how teacher training has changed over time, and it must, it's important. However, we've lost some of the basics. If we don't teach teachers how to teach the proper methodologies, how to teach reading, etc., how do you expect them to be infused with that ability? And teaching reading is a science. Teaching mathematics is a science. Many of our teachers are teaching mathematics in the same way that they would teach history. Now, for heaven's sake, that's a very, very different methodology. So the methodology of teaching a subject is lacking. And that is where Naptoza has constantly said, we've got to try and do better. And if we want to change the outcomes in the country, it is not about taking matric students and drumming them for the entire year in how to write the exam. Rather, it's teaching children much greater independence. It is also ensuring that teachers, by using the right methodologies, will get the right Mm -hmm. outcomes. Our teacher training is shocking at the moment. Basil, I I would contend that... To be a teacher is noble, it's a calling, and it's also a unique gift. It's a gift in communication, it's a gift in patience often as well, I imagine. Why do you think in the current setup we have lost that ability to teach properly? Jeremy, I think one must acknowledge that um, teaching has become more difficult in the 21st century. More difficult because children are exposed to more, they know much more, and as a result, the challenge for the teacher is much greater. And that's a positive, it's not a negative. But our teachers haven't managed to change as fast as the children have changed. Remember, you train a teacher, they're potentially there for 35 to 40 years. And some of them haven't kept up the pace of learning as students have changed. First point. Second point, of course, We do see the great challenges in our schools in the South African context, where there are many, many schools overcrowded, not because our pupil-teacher ratio is so bad, because there are not enough classrooms. As a result, you have class sizes that are much bigger than they should be. 50 and 60 is crowd control. It is no longer Mm. teaching. 
And that makes life extremely difficult. With that comes the natural things that happen when you have too many people in a confined space. Discipline goes down the tubes. You find that even the plant starts breaking down. Door handles aren't built to be opened five, six hundred times a day. But of course, when you have an overcrowded situation, that's exactly what's going to happen. And the plant starts looking bad. So it's an amalgam of a whole lot of things that can and do go wrong. And one of the challenges and one of the great failures of the last 30 years is that we haven't managed to attend to the building of schools and, of course, the supply of additional classrooms where there is pressure, particularly in provinces like Gauteng. And unless we get that right… We are not going to magically fix our schools, and teaching becomes more and more difficult. As a result, so many teachers feel quite burnt out when they reach the late 50s, and they they never want to go into their 60s teaching. And that is a pity, Mm. too, because you lose a lot of experience like that. Basil, I want to bring you back to teacher training, if I can. And as you were speaking to me, I was wondering to myself whether it's a lack of training or in many cases these days, it's simply the lack of commitment. I think our training method is incorrect. If I have to take an honest view of things, teaching is a practically based occupation. You can't only focus on content. And universities are designed to be content things and not practical places. Our teachers that come through our university structures haven't had enough practical experience. They come and they have to sink or swim when they arrive at a school. And some of them are great. They adapt. Some of them battle all their lives. Because if you land in a good school, where there is a lot of experience, where you have a lot of people who can motivate and assist you, you could become as good as they are. But if you land in a bad school, you just become part of the movement there. That's one. And that is why I'm saying I I don't believe it's a lack of commitment. We have many, many committed people. Unfortunately, also, we are not attracting always the cream of the crop because teacher salaries, whilst I don't believe they are really bad, I really do think that they can't compete with all these other far more attractive occupations where people are earning much, much more. So you have your good math students. How many of them will think about going into teaching? And I can tell you on a scale of one to ten is probably nil. And the same applies to your physics teachers and your, your physics uh, pupils and, and your, your, your technology, etc., there are far more attractive options out there. So you settle for second best. Now, many of those have the heart for it, and that counts for a lot as well, and they do a good job. But there are many of them that will battle because they were never really designed to be there. Basil Manuel, the principal audience that uh, is listening to this conversation now would be in the business space. All too often I have spoken to business leaders uh, who articulate exactly what you said. Uh, They bemoan the fact that they don't have the right skills uh, to match the demands of the profession uh, where young people are entering. Do you think that business needs to play a greater role in this whole conundrum that you've outlined for us? And if so, How do they step up to the plate? What do they need to do? I believe there's always space 
for business to assist and, in fact, even influence direction. You think about the the much-vaunted three-streams model that we are talking about, where we are saying not all our children are academic, and we've got to cater for the child that is either technical, and they are very academic children normally, and, of course, those that are far more practical. Now, our problem today is that most schools cannot and neither can government afford to ensure that there are workshops at a school. Sometimes we have schools that are just begging for an old car so that children can start tinkering on the car because that is the practical part. So there is a lot business can do because we must move away from this particular direction we are on where we believe every child will pass an academic metric. We are not making every child shine, and we've got to get to the practical and the technical child. So that is where business comes in. It starts saying we are changing the skills makeup of the entire group of people that exit. We are preparing those few who need to go to the universities. But we are also preparing others for the workspace because they are the future employer employers and the creators of jobs. We know the creators of jobs aren't necessarily the people at the university. They are the people that can set up a panel beating shop, that can do mechanical work, that can do so many of the other practical things. And that's where big business comes in. That is what our schools need. Our schools need to be equipped to cater for every type of child in the school. And that partnership that you're suggesting is not just throwing money at the problem, is it? It's more than that. No, no, it's more than that. The support. I've seen a wonderful example right here in Boxburg where it happens to be a special school for mildly mentally handicapped children. And they, there's a hotel school right there. Business has grown the hotel school. And, of course, one of the big hotel groups takes those kids into the hotels when they exit with a uh, matric equivalent. And they are there and they are trained to be uh, chef assistants and things like that. Mm. And they are doing marvelously. Now, if that can happen in a special school and so successfully, why can't it happen elsewhere? There's a great need for skilled people or people with greater skills when they exit matric. Currently, children exit matric and they simply know only what was in the books. They don't know anything beyond that. And you hear the refrain constantly that our children need to be more skilled. And I say schools are not there necessarily to skill children. They are there to teach them things and to give them options. However, if one of the options is to be more practical, then so be it. And that is what we need to be looking at. So we've spoken about technology and you've referenced the three streams. Um, I'm assuming then that you would be looking at changes to the current curriculum as well as looking at ways in which the methodology of teaching needs to change. Where are there deficiencies in our curriculum? How do you fix that for the greater good? We don't have a bad curriculum I believe. I believe our curriculum, and particularly the core curriculum, has sufficient structure in it for us to go into many different directions. We have an overcrowded curriculum, and we certainly have a curriculum that doesn't cater always for diversity, which is what we need to be doing. And thankfully, 
There are ears that are open at the moment, and even with the current processes of curriculum review, which is not to throw out the the whole curriculum, but it is to tweak it to make it more user-friendly and to bring in the more technologically 21st century-based learnings into the system. That is big. The process has begun, and I think we are making headway there. So I'm very positive about that particular one. I think we've got to ensure that the universities are walking this path with us in terms of the training of teachers and the preparation of teachers. But at the end of the day, it becomes a money issue as well. I think money can be far better spent in our country. I know everybody says that, but we we do need to be spending money to ensure that schools can cater for these new age ideas, the the, the 21st century ideas. We don't need to talk about a, a new industrial revolution. We need to be creating the opportunity to explore that industrial revolution. And that argument is predicated then, as I think you've suggested, between a closer relationship between schools and universities. But that gap is often wide. And the consequence of that is that when young people enter university, they are completely blindsided. So how do you bridge that gap, I wonder? That's a very, very difficult one. Yes, currently our system is such that our youngsters have no clue what they're walking into. And that is why the dropout rates and failure rates in first year at university is enormous. But it is also about the things we do in schools that creates that situation. We currently have a situation where because there's so much focus on the metric outcome, Children spend almost the entire year in matric, in extra classes, etc., etc. And in fact, some people praise this to the highest uh, heavens. And and I'm I, I'm constantly saying, people, this is, should not be a norm. Children also need to be children. They need to be exploring other things as well. But they have now been so drummed, uh, Jeremy, that they get to university and suddenly there's nobody behind them and they fall apart. So that gap is very big. But I don't believe it's insurmountable. There are many, many examples throughout the world where the transition from schooling to university is much better. But currently, there's a view in South Africa that you have to go to university. You must go to higher education. And that is a fallacy. Because if you look at any country, any developed country, the percentage of Children who go to their universities is probably two or three. I, th- I think I read the maximum is 7%. Mm. We want to try and exceed that. And it doesn't make sense. Uh, not everybody should be there. And the people not suited to university are the first to drop out. And that is a very, very costly exercise. Basil Manuel, you've given us so many different ideas on how to fix the education system in South Africa. So let's wind up the conversation with this question. There's that old cliche, isn't there, that uh, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So if we are to implement uh, changes to education in South Africa, what would you define as a couple of short-term wins? What would indicate real progress then, in your opinion? Real progress is going to be the number of children we can get into formal grade R. That's the first point. Uh, We we have 1.1 million children who enter grade one. There should be an equivalent grade R. Currently, there's 600,000. That gives you the big gap. 
at the end of grade one, not at the end of 10 years, at the end of grade one, your children must have mastered basic reading. And that is immeasurable. And that you have to hold people to account. But you know what? Our schools don't even have the readers, the 22 books that a grade one child has to master aren't in our schools. We know that our homes are text poor. So our schools can't be text poor. We need to have sufficient books there. That is immeasurable. And the next measurable is reading with understanding by the time they, they, they get to grade four. That has to be immeasurable. And I'm guaranteeing you if you fix the first ones, the other ones automatically fall in line. The same applies to mathematics. So I believe there are many points along the, the line where you can measure uh, the progress of our learners, of our system as a whole. The support structures must be measured as well because currently we have a lot of district officials and we have a lot of education officials and if you ask me quite honestly what they do i wouldn't be able to answer because their worth is only the impact they have on the quality of learning and teaching in a school and if their arrival is only about sitting in a lofty office then they've done nothing Basil Manuel, I'm going to finish this conversation with uh, two things. One is thank you very much for joining us, but also to riff on a quote from uh, Nelson Mandela. Uh, He said, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. I'll add to that that it's a powerful weapon to fix South Africa. Thank you very much for joining us and uh, happy 2024. Thank you very much, Jeremy, and the same to you. Thanks for listening to this Fix SA podcast. For more episodes posted every second Friday, go to moneyweb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or follow MoneyWeb News on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.